Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Welcome to another episode of Data Access Golf. Appreciate you being here. I wanted to jump on and have a a little discussion about uh, Bryson DeChambeau and his victory down in Vegas at the Shriners Hospital Hospital for Children. Um, Wow, amazing performance. He he was able to, again, take a 54-hole lead and convert it, which is actually, you know, pretty hard to do. Statistics show us that that's pretty tough to do. So super impressive and kind of goes to why is he able to do this? He's he's young. He's known as a mad scientist and um, and and really a, a data driven guy, which is, uh, as many of you know, is very close to my heart. So I kind of wanted to jump into that. I, I remember when he first I, I remember hearing about him when he was at SMU and he'd won the NCAAs and was playing really well. And they were talking about his kind of one length clubs and that he was sort of a mad scientist and a physicist and all all this stuff. And so it became very interesting. I, I myself was kind of starting to use a lot of feedback and data to organize and, and try to get my swing better. That's where I started having my epiphany with the bike riding and trying to figure that all out. So I was very interested in learning more about him. I, I didn't have to look far, right? I mean, based on how the media is nowadays, they're always looking for some new story or whatever because they have to put out a lot of content to get a lot of eyeballs and make a lot of money. So I, I get it, but it was very easy to get information on Bryson DeChambeau. He was um, a, a pretty interesting character and the, uh, and the media made sure that we knew about him. And um, so kind of sort of followed him along as he went to Cobra and got the one length clubs made at Cobra. And I actually, uh, myself, I tried one length irons for a year and tried to work my way into them. I, I found them sort of difficult to adjust to after playing with, with uh, you know, varying length clubs for all my life. To go to a one length was very strange. You know, you've got the, mine were set up, so everything was set up like a seven iron. So, you know, you've got a six iron, you couldn't really tell that much difference. But five, four, three irons definitely felt strange at seven iron length. And boy, a 60 degree, a 60 degree wedge or even a pitching wedge at a seven iron length is weird. Super, super weird. They were all banked, uh, bent to the same lie angle. And it was, it was an interesting experience and I had a lot of fun sort of messing with it, but it didn't really work for me. And I also, I, I, I'm concerned with our bodies wear down and especially as we get older, they wear down. And so that, that major wrist injury that I had I, I kind of sort of attribute it to those one length clubs. I mean, I, I literally was hitting every single club at the exact same lie angle and putting a, a, a great deal of stress on your body when you time and time again, you're taking divots. And if your wrist is set in the same exact position every single time, I think that you're looking for trouble, right? That repetitive motion. So I started feeling it in my back. I mean, you're always your stance, you're always bent over at sort of the same angle. Your wrist is kind of coming through at the same angle. And I just started to feel myself sort of wear down where, you know, with the, the multiple uh, angles, lie angles, and the multiple lengths in a standard iron set, I think probably lends to more variability in your golf swing. And while that I don't always like that as far as um, we're trying to simplify the golf swing. And that's I think that's why I was super attracted to the, the whole concept of the one length. But when it comes right down to it, without your health, you've got nothing. So at that particular point, I had to say, you know what? 
a little variability is okay. Plus, I've been playing this way for so long that I went back to the, you know, the, the variable length clubs and um, ended up still tearing out my wrist. I think I injured it probably before with the one length. So anybody who's thinking about using the one length, I think if you're younger, you probably get away with it. And I think that Bryson's going to be able to get away with it for a long time. And we'll see how his body holds up. But when you are hitting every single shot from the exact same position, I've got to think that eventually you're going to feel that, that you're going to wear out. You're putting too much strain and pressure on certain parts of your body in the exact same place every single time. That's got to, uh, that's got to hurt eventually. So I am concerned about that. Hopefully he'll deal with that and he'll avoid injury. He's sure fun to watch play. I am. Uh, I was a little. I don't know. I'm a little. I, what? Whatever happened to the whole? I, I just don't get the whole idea that somehow or another, if you you know pump your fist, that's somehow or another Tiger's move. I mean, uh, Tiger didn't come up with the fist pump, did he? I mean, I. It seems like we've seen it my whole life. Different people have done the fist pump. So why in the world it's now considered? Uh, Tiger's patented move and nobody else can do it without somebody saying that it looks Tiger-esque. I I don't know, but um, um, I have stopped fist pumping, so I don't have to be called Tiger-esque for whatever that's worth. So anyway, back to to Bryson. I, you know, when he first came out, he was fascinating, interesting. He didn't really have the the best of starts. He kind of started slow. And I've thought about this a lot. Why why was that? He was so successful in the NCAAs, and we see that a lot. I, I think the media... And the spotlight is it's got to be difficult, puts a lot of pressure on them to perform. He obviously is a, a, a very performance-driven person. And I think all that pressure and not living up to it was probably pretty difficult for him. But also, I think that he would just suffered from data overload. And that's possible. When you start using data in your golf swing, there's, there's um, an opportunity to, to gather so much data that you can't make sense out of any of it. It gets a little frustrating there to start until some of it starts to make sense and kind of settle in. And then once you start understanding the data and can kind of compartmentalize what's helpful and what isn't, then data becomes very incredibly helpful. And I think it just took him a while to figure out, you know, what pieces of equipment were helpful to him and, and, and what was not. And they showed some video somewhere on, on DeChambeau back at Carnoustie where he's struggling with his swing a little bit. and they were kind of showing his emotional outbursts and stuff. And I wasn't very interested in that part of it. We all get frustrated, but just the amount of equipment that he had surrounded him, all the feedback he was getting. I mean, if he was using new feedback devices and trying to figure things out, I can see that to be a very frustrating thing, but it seems, and I'm super happy for him. It seems that he's figured out what data is important for him and what data is not. And um, in our sort of winter, you know, training program, winter boot camp, whatever we're going to call it, launching December 1st, we're going to get into that. What data is important and what data isn't. But in a nutshell, I'll say this is you want to use data where you don't have a a quicker way to get feedback, right? You want the quickest, most accurate and instant feedback you can get. So in a lot of the devices that we use, and I'm still sort of, I'm trying to negotiate with the equipment manufacturers and some devices, that's why I haven't really sort of revealed which ones I use right now. But, but when you're looking at the data, you need to understand and sort of, and, and I'll, I'll help everybody through this, you need to kind of take and throw out the data that you can get more accurately at the course and not worry about that. So we get some data as far as, you know, club face, open, closed, um, or, or square, and, 
and you get sort of descending blow. All, there's a lot of data that is superfluous that we don't need in the devices that we're going to use, and we'll show you which ones are work and which ones don't. We really wanna focus on the data that we can't get anywhere else, the best possible data. I can go to a golf course, I can go to a driving range and tell you pretty quickly whether my face is square or open or closed, right? It's the direction the ball goes after I hit it. And that's more immediate feedback without me looking at a computer screen, without an iPhone screen. So that's not the best way to use data. We wanna use data when we're talking about swing plane, we're talking about where our club is. Um, those types of things where we have really no other way for accurate data, that's where we wanna hang out. That's where we wanna spend our time using devices and using data where we can't get it anywhere else. And it's by far the best way to get accurate instant data to us. That's where we'll hang out. So part of the program will be use it this way, don't use it this way because there's better ways to get that data elsewhere. And I think that DeChambeau has figured that out. Um, when you use data <clears throat> to reveal what you're actually doing and you begin to trust it, you develop an, an, an insane amount of confidence in your golf swing. Confidence that, that I've never had previously because I wasn't ever really sure what I was doing. But when I have data show me what I'm doing, and first of all, convincing me that I wasn't doing what I thought I was doing, but get me to a, it gets me to a place where I know that this is what I'm doing. It doesn't matter what it feels like. This is what actually is going on. And you begin to trust that and you begin to trust the process. You get to a point where your golf swing becomes something you have great confidence in. And I think DeChambeau's, how he has embraced data and this feedback has given him the ability to be very confident in his golf swing. So when he has a 54-hole lead and he goes to the driving range and he warms up, he has all the data telling him your golf swing's in good shape. And he goes to the number one tee and knows, look, if I just implement my golf swing, I know that it's in good shape. I saw the data and the feedback. I don't have to trust my feel. I saw it. And I trust this equipment enough to know that it's accurate. And you go out with a great deal of confidence. He played with a great deal of confidence. And um, maybe he didn't have that when he wasn't getting the appropriate data, the data that he needed, but he has it now. And it's kind of fun to watch. So I was super excited to see him win. It's definitely, and an, I think uh, for us who are convinced the data is a great way to better our golf swings rapidly, he's sort of the poster child. He really is doing an amazing job with it. So I'm excited to get in and get going with you. December 1st, we'll get to work. Um, if you're looking to sign up, please just go to our website, dataaccessgolf.com, and, and give us an email address. We'll send out all the details when we're closer to going. We've got everything sort of built out. Maybe I'll review kind of the course, at least how it's set out, and we're getting the videos done and getting them all set up ready for us to go. I'm excited about doing it myself. We'll have a lot of fun going back and forth on our private Facebook group. I, I think it's going to be a good time, and we'll learn a ton of stuff. Sort of the last thing that I want to kind of touch on is want to touch on is, again, going back to Bryson, he, he uses all this data, he gets all this stuff, but when you go to the course, you have to play. And he is a very interesting guy because he will talk to his caddy. I loved, I think they showed it on the 16th hole when he, when he hit his approach up there, he knew that he hit it well, and then he made that eagle putt. The discussion that he had with his, with his caddy was very detail-oriented, and he took in a lot of data, and that's fine. But when it gets right down to it, in golf, we can use our devices to practice and do all kinds of things, but eventually you have to get to a point where you have to perform. 
and performance improves when we trust in what we're doing, when we trust in the process, and we know, based on data, that we've got everything in place in order to execute a shot. And he's able to trust that, calm his mind, choose a target, and let it go and just hit it. And that's a, a phrase Fred Shoemaker uses a lot. You just let it go. And it was so fun to watch a guy that is so big on data get to the course, process it all, settle in, and let it go, and execute the shot. Again, so much more possible for him to do that because he trusts his golf swing, and he trusts his golf swing because of data. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I sure appreciate uh, the comments. I, I'm, it's, it's growing. More people are listening. It's exciting. I never thought I'd be here and be doing this kind of a thing. Um, but I'm enjoying it and I appreciate um, your interaction. It's, it sure made this a lot easier to kind of get into and get going. So until next time, please remember, better data means better golf. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com and we'll see you on the next episode.